Baptist Church Groveport and been meeting with your leaders here recently, talking about some organizational type things. And actually, the text we're going to use today, it's Mark chapter 1, verses 32 through 39. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you have one of these old-looking ones here, contrary to popular belief, these are not the original manuscripts. This is just a Bible I've had for a while. So if you have it on your phone or a tablet, Mark chapter 1, verses 32 through 39. So appreciate all the First Baptist Groveport does through Stowe Mission, also Metro Columbus Baptist Association. So last year, Stowe Mission served 156,000 meals to needy people there on the south side. Isn't that amazing? Served over 1,000 medical patients through our dental clinic. So we've been pulling teeth since 1980. Uh, <laughs> it's probably a better way to say that. But, uh, and we recently added a dental cleaning unit with an arrangement of collaboration with Columbus State uh, Community College. So their dental hygienists come down so people can get restorative uh, dental cleanings rather than just extractions. Also have a vision clinic. You can get a free exam. A voucher for a free pair of glasses, have a food pantry, soup kitchen, tutoring, pregnancy resource center. So God just doing amazing things there. How many of you have ever been to a polo match? One? Yeah, I never have either. So August 2nd, Friday night, is Stowe Mission Polo Night. Can you believe that? So a friend of mine owns the largest polo club in the Midwest. It's where they get on those horses with the mallets and whack a little ball around in them. So if you've never been to one, you can bring a carload for $20. would help Stowe Mission and see a polo match. It's just right around Westerville, New Albany, that area. Went out to see the horses, see my buddy uh, Horace Henriot, who owns that. Amazing thing. So I'm looking forward to being there. And uh, So we'll have a silent auction there to help Stowe Mission, have some food there. So it'll be a great night. It's more like a, a picnic, from what I understand. The field itself is 10 acres. Crazy. Yeah, so lots of room, uh, lots of horses. They just bought five horses from Argentina and flew them here on an airplane. What happened to a horse trailer, right? But um, so a lot of good things going on there. With the association, we started our first Chinese church this year up in Dublin, which is great. Pastor Lee started another Bhutanese church and another Anglo church so far. So we're excited about what God's doing there. And all of those things are a result of God at work, right, and getting clear on our mission. What is it we're supposed to be doing? So that's important as an organization, as Stowe Mission, also Metro Columbus Baptist Association. It's even more important for you personally. Do you know what your personal purpose on the planet is? If I were to ask you, why were you born would you have a good answer for that? Would you have one statement of about 13 words that describe why you're here? And I'm convinced most people are living limited lives because they don't know what that is. And it's not something that you create, right? It's not pulling off the side of the road and think, I'd love to play in the NBA, right? That's not going to help. I mean, I'm not good at basketball. I'm not going to be an MLB uh, baseball player. But there are things that God has done in my life up to this point, experiences that I've had, education that I've had, places that I've lived that have contributed to who I am and what I do today. So for example, in our association, we have 25 language churches. A language church means that uh, they speak a language in addition to English. 
So we have 129 churches. Sometimes people ask me, well, how many ethnic churches do you have? And I say, 129. (laughs) We're all ethnic. (laughs) Some of us may not know it, but we're all from some kind of ethnic, right? But, But those folks speak a language in addition to English, and they're all from those countries. So I know your church is working on some things like that. So when I talk to churches, I ask them, who are you trying to reach? Well, they say, we're here to reach everybody. But you don't, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a sentence to you. You listen to it, and you tell me what it says, right? Do you know what that means? No. So you're probably not going to reach Kenyan immigrants very well at First Baptist Grove Fort. So you really don't reach everybody. By the way, that, that sentence says, I thank the Lord for you and your partnership in the gospel. Buana asafiwe is something that they say a lot. Praise the Lord. If I were to say, Gloria a Dios porque Jesucristo vive en mi corazón. Anybody know what that means? Probably a better chance of that one. It means praise the Lord uh, for he has... Because Jesus Christ owns my heart, basically. So we have a church reaching Latino people. First Baptist Groveport probably isn't going to reach a lot of people whose primary language is Spanish, or Nepali, or Swahili, or Chui, right? But you are here to reach somebody. And what is true as a church, what is true as an organization, is also true of you. Most people spend their lives drawing their salary, drawing their breath, and drawing conclusions about how life should be. We say things like, I might, I could, maybe someday I will. You ever notice Jesus did not talk like that? Jesus said things like, I am, I have come to, I will, I shall. This is why I'm here. So today in our scriptures, we'll see the focus that Jesus had on his personal purpose. Too many people are like the guy who went to the fortune teller, right? Now, don't go to a fortune teller. I've never been to one. I just thought this was funny and it fit the sermon, right? So, so he went to the fortune teller and the fortune teller said, you will be miserable and depressed until your 40th birthday. And the guy said, well, so then things will get better. Portrait Tellus has said, well, no, but by then you'll be used to it. (laughs) That's not a good way to live. Even John Lennon said, life is what happens when you're making other plans. Most people spend more time planning a two-week vacation than they've spent planning their entire lives. But God didn't do that. We see in the Bible that God operates according to his purpose. You know that God had a purpose, right? Had a purpose, had a plan even, beyond a purpose. Ephesians chapter 3.11, describing that purpose, says that it's eternal. It says, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you accomplishing what you're supposed to accomplish? Well, I didn't know I was supposed to accomplish anything. Well, God says he did, and he accomplished it in Christ Jesus our Lord. God had a purpose, he had a plan, and he was successful in that plan. Is your church successful? What do you mean by success? Well, I mean, are you accomplishing the mission that God has given you to do? That's a yes or a no, or maybe somewhere in between. But he does have a purpose. He does have a plan. 
God also says that his purpose creates peace. Ephesians 2.15 says, By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. And then in Ephesians 1.9, it tells us his purpose is according to his good pleasure. The Bible said, And he, speaking of God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Philippians 2.13 says it's good. For it is God who works in you to will and act. How does he do that? According to his good purpose. And then it's also unchanging. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. And David, King David said in Psalm 57 2, he said, I cry out to God most high, to God who will fulfill his purpose for me. Now we quote a lot of verses about that, like in uh, Jeremiah where it says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in a future. Now, that's comforting, but really not very much, right? Now, it's one thing that God knows, so that's okay, right? I'd rather him know than not know. But shouldn't we know? And if you don't know, how in the world are you going to live it out? If you're not clear on why God put you here, then how do you know that you're going to do what you're supposed to be doing? Another way your purpose helps you is in making decisions. There's a lot of things you can do in a given day. Why do you decide to do the things that you do? We'll see how Jesus did that. So God operated according to his purpose. We'll see here that Jesus lived according to his purpose. Here are just some statements that Jesus made about himself. John chapter 3, verse 14 Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. John chapter 6, verse 35 and verse 48, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. John 8, 58, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, I am. 10, 7, the Gospel of John Therefore, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, I am the door for the sheep. Chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine. Luke Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, for the Son of Man, this is Jesus saying, this is why I'm here, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came. Do you have that kind of clarity about your life from day to day? For Stowe Mission, we give gospel hope and restoration to people facing hardships in multiple locations and multiple satellites. There's a clarity about that that guides all of our decision making. For Metro Columbus Baptist Association, we resource, network, and plant churches to create churches who change culture in the Midwest. That's what we do. So that rules out a whole lot of things. If you don't know where to say no, you're probably not going to ever get to your yes. Because you won't have time for it. Everybody else is pulling you from place to place. For me personally, 
I help leaders achieve kingdom results personally and organizationally. Do that through the association, do that through Stowe Mission. Started this other organization called Leader Increase where I do that. It's clear. Most people don't have that clarity, but you can have it. And not only can you have it, God wants you to have it. Um, a guy named Nicholas said, most people's tombstones should say, died at 40, buried at 80. Right? You're making a living, but are you making a life? David, he accomplished his purpose. Acts chapter 13, verse 36 says, Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, he was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. I want to say that when I'm gone. Lord, I accomplished what you called me to do. So let's take a snapshot now, Mark chapter 1, out of the life of Jesus. Now we know that God had a plan for Jesus' coming, right? W.A. Criswell, a longtime pastor of First Baptist Dallas, called it the scarlet thread of redemption. So God knew as he created man that man would sin, that they needed a Savior. So God's purpose was the redemption of mankind, right? He wanted us to come back to him, And his plan was to have his son go and be born of a virgin, 100% God, 100% man, live a perfect sinless life, die on the cross as a substitution for us, resurrect from the dead, and he lives at the right hand of the Father, bidding us to come also. Very clear what he did. So day to day, wouldn't that be kind of hard to figure out? So if you were Jesus, you only had three years of public ministry to light the world on fire with the greatest purpose on the planet, what would you do? Did you know the church is the greatest organization on planet Earth? There's a church in every country of the world, all 197 countries of the world, there's a church. There's a body of Christ. It's the largest organization in the world. About a third of the population, a little over 2 billion people out of the 7 billion or so, claim to be Christians. Not unbelievable. There's lots of different varieties of that, right? But God's son, born in the flesh, three years, and in the book of Acts, we see where they turn the world upside down. So let's look at one phase, one part of one day, actually, out of the life of Jesus. Mark chapter 1, start with verse 32. That says, Now at evening, <clears throat> when the sun had set, they brought to him, speaking of Jesus, All who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases. You notice that he didn't heal them all, right? Cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, When they found him, they said to him, everyone's looking for you. But he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. So we're going to see here that Jesus said no to certain things because those things did not contribute to his overall purpose for coming here. The first thing that he said no to was proximity to those who were closest to him. We see that 
Now, can you imagine Jesus rolls into town? He heals a lot of people. He casts demons out of a lot of people. But there are still more people with disease and sickness, still more people with demon possession. And in those days, they didn't have a solution for that. So Jesus did it in the evening, went to bed, got up, prayed, went back out. They said, a lot of these people are still looking for you because a lot of them still have diseases. A lot of them still have demons. He says, I'm not doing that. I'm going to the next town because that's why I came. you imagine? Jesus said no so he could say yes to the real reason that he was here. He wasn't pushed from the past. He was pulled to his future. When you read through the Bible, lots of interesting things there, but one of those is the Bible rarely talks much about your past talks about the future. You never see Jesus saying, you know, fellas, you wouldn't believe the place I left. Streets of gold, legions of angels worshiping me, had every kind of food you could ever imagine. Every morning I had a sausage, egg, and jalapeno cheese on a bun from White Castle, medium coffee with extra cream, and no calories. (laughs) By the way, you can write that down. That is the best breakfast sandwich in town. And the best snack is nacho cheese Doritos and French onion dip. That's, if you're taking notes, those are the two things, to, right? He didn't talk about that. He talked about his purpose and where he was going. So in our bodies, the way God created our bodies, we have 206 bones, and we have about triple the number of muscles. So all of those muscles are pull muscles. None of those are push muscles. For example, when I flex this bicep, it, it's, yes, thank you. It's black, so you probably, my church, so you, I should have worn a different shirt. You can't tell how far out that's bulging, but it's very, it's very large. Let me just. <laughs> so when I flex this huge bicep, <laughs> so it's pulling with the bicep, and the tricep is just releasing. It's not pushing with the tricep. When I put my arm back, the tricep is pulling, right, and the bicep's just releasing. They're all pull muscles. So the idea is we need to be pulled to our future and not pushed from our past. We do that too often. When I was in seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, a friend of mine uh, got on staff at a church in Los Angeles, California. He was going there to be a missionary, start a church out of there. So he needed somebody to ride with him. So I volunteered because I drive a lot and I'd never been to the West Coast at that point. So Steve Smith was his name. You won't find a more American name than that. And Carlos Garcia, right, friend of mine from Puerto Rico, well, he's Puerto Rican from New York, and then me. So 29 hours in a rider truck from Fort Worth, Texas to Los Angeles. We just drove straight through. It took 12 hours to get out of Texas. You know, when you were growing up, what state are we in? You don't ask that when you're a kid in Texas. You're always in Texas. You're just, right, crazy. So, so we got there, as you can imagine, being up for 29 hours, just kind of sleeping off and on. And so Steve came from a well-to-do family. Everything he had was heavy, right? So, so have you ever gone to help somebody move and you go in and everything's still on the wall, right? Nothing's packed. So they were just tossing it into these boxes. And they thought, since they'd never moved anybody before, putting it in big boxes would be a lot more convenient or efficient. They didn't have to lift those boxes, right? (laughs) 
So we loaded up, drove. So he had this little piano dolly, right? Have you ever seen one of those? It's got it's like two by fours, has four casters on there. So in Los Angeles, the, the apartments are either up, the road's either up like that or down like that. There's no flat space out there anyway. So we got on that thing, as you can imagine, and shove off from the wall, and that thing would just go all over the place, right? Now imagine if I'd been on that piano dolly, and there was a rope attached to it right there, and I just pulled myself along it. Would have stayed right on track, wouldn't it? Did you know if you get off track by one step, then you got to take another step, get back on track, and you've lost two steps? You're not going to get there by walking here. You're not going to get to your future by pushing away from your past. Too many people do that. They're, they're shoving off. I'm not going to do what my parents told me to do, right? Or I'm never going to work for a boss like that. Or I'm never going to be hurt again. And what happened? You just careen out of control all over the place. You're not going to hit it. Unless you know what it is, spend time pulling yourself to it. So Jesus didn't do that. He didn't respond to the people around him that wanted him to do stuff. The other thing he didn't respond to is the majority. Verse 37, Peter said, everyone's looking for you, right? When I was a teenager, I remember... Uh, asking my dad for something. He said, no. I said, everybody's doing it. He said, everybody's not doing it because you're not doing it. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln said, avoid popularity if you would have peace. There's a story about an old man, an old fable. It's been handed down for generations. An old man who was traveling with a boy and a donkey. So as they walked through a village, the man was leading the donkey and the boy was walking behind well, the townspeople said the old man was a fool for not riding, so to please them, he climbed up on the animal's back. So when they came to the next village, the people said the old man was cruel to let the child walk while he enjoyed the ride. So to please them, he got off, set the boy on the animal's back, continued on his way. Then the third village, people accused the child of being lazy for making the old man walk, and the suggestion was made that they both ride. So the man climbed on, and they set off. In the fourth village, the townspeople were indignant at the cruelty to the donkey because he was made to carry two people. The frustrated man was last seen carrying the donkey. <laughs> That's how that works. If you're here to please other people, you're not pleasing the one that created you. You live for an audience of one. And you have to be so clear on that that you're willing to say no to lesser things. Notice the other thing Jesus did not, did not determine Jesus' activities. His ability. Isn't that amazing? The fact that he could heal people doesn't mean that he was supposed to heal people. Isn't that something? Just because you can do it does not mean that you should do it. Now, I can't is rarely true. It's usually I won't, right? Or I don't want to. Well, I can't do it. Oh, yeah, you can. You just you don't want to. So you're trying to say you can't to make yourself believe that you really can't, then you absolve your own <laughs> guilt in not doing it. If God calls you to do it, you can do it. Now, you may not be able to do it today, but when you start stacking those things day by day by day, eventually you'll get to where it is that God wants you to be. So when I was in Texas, I was on staff at a church, 75th largest church in America, right? Big church, had a great job. 
When I went there, I was 31, 32. Somebody asked me, what's it like to be at the pinnacle of your career at age 32? Well, I never thought about that before. But God blessed, things grew. I got promoted to being over all the educational staff. So I left all of that, took a massive pay cut, and moved to Central Ohio to be the director of missions for Metro Columbus Baptist Association. Why did I do that? Because I'd spent two years working on my purpose and got clear on why God called me on the planet. And it was to do, and I didn't even know the job existed. You know, I never thought about being a DOM, thought about being a pastor. But when that came up, two people in the committee called me independent of each other. It fit with the way God had been dealing in my life up to that point. Is that crazy? I got here a friend of mine, because I'd pastored Southside Baptist Church, then I was a associate pastor of youth and education at Dublin Baptist Church, so I knew about Central Ohio. Moved to Houston, was there eight years, came back. One of my friends said, Rich, yeah, I think you're nuts. <laughs> he said, but I'm glad you're here. Okay. But I couldn't have seen 80 churches, new churches, join our association in the last 15 years if I would have stayed there. Now, God could have done it without me, but I would have missed it. I wouldn't have been able to see God rally our churches and raise $730,000 and later even more than that for that 888 Parsons Avenue if I would have done that based on my purpose. So what's yours? It's not what you can do. It's what you should do. Heard on the radio a while back about a guy that was so strong, you know, those parking meters where you park your car, so strong, he could grab one of those parking meters and pull it up out of the ground. Now, those things are kind of heavy, but the heaviest part is the glob of concrete on the bottom of it, right? It's unbelievable. And I'm thinking, I'll never be able to do that. Then I'm thinking, why would I ever want to do that? Right. I, I personally, I've never been interviewed for this, but I think I would make a really good Walmart greeter. Right? Yeah, I'm a good shopper. I know where things are. I like people. I like a, meeting a lot of different kinds of people. But that's not what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Maybe someday it will be, but it's not right now. So it's not what you can do. It's what you should do. Jesus' activities were not determined what he could do. Jesus' actions were decided by what he should do. The other thing that did not determine Jesus' activities were his history. What you've done in the past does not determine what you do in the future. So here's a, a statement that's worth writing down. Your past is always present, but it should not determine your future. So I'm around guys my age who still say, well, Rich, you know, my dad, how I grew up. What does that have to do with anything? (laughs) Nothing. Unless you let it. Well, my first marriage was, hey, don't live out of that. What's your future? What's your purpose? What's your mission? Why are you here? Now, that's part of the package, right? So that's that's, uh, an ingredient. That's part of your history. So don't deny it. The worst thing you can do is pretend like it didn't happen. But God uses those wounds to help you as he pushes you towards your future. But if all you do is park your brain there, you're never going to accomplish what it is that he wants you to accomplish. So it's not your history. 
It's not what your past is about. There's a guy named Alfred. He was the fourth of eight kids in his family. He registered more than 350 patents. He was the inventor of dynamite, right? Incredible. He was uh, fluent by age 16 in Swedish, German, and some other language that I didn't underline here. Incredible. And then there was uh, an accident. So his family, his father was a great inventor, and uh, so they had these nitroglycerin factories. So the nitroglycerin was very unstable, so they had these explosions. And one of them exploded and killed one of his brothers. Uh, but as the story goes, they're not, I've researched it a lot, nobody's 100% sure this is exactly what happened, but, but here's the way that it's told often. So they thought that his brother, his brother Ludwig died, but instead of Ludwig, they thought it was Alfred. So when they put Alfred's obituary in that paper, they said, the merchant of death is dead. And at that point in his life, he said, I don't want to be remembered as the merchant of death. So he took all the wealth that he had and put it into what is now the Nobel Prizes every year. Isn't that amazing? So they give an, a, an award every year in the field of physics, chemistry, physiology, or medicine, literature, and peace. He didn't let his history determine his future, and neither should you. Now, it affects it, but it doesn't mean that that's what it is. So I was born in Washington, D.C., Georgetown University Hospital. We lived in Seat Pleasant, Maryland. Does anybody know who Kevin Durant is, famous NBA player? So he was, got the MVP as a rookie, and when he gave a speech, he talked about growing up in PG County, how difficult it was, Prince George's County. That's where we lived. So school I went to, I was the only white boy in my second grade class. So I got the picture up in my office. <laughs> so I, I showed it, can you pick me out, right? <laughs> but what does that have to do with it? I was in three different schools in the third grade. One inside the Capitol Beltway, inner city D.C., right? My dad grew up in a worse place than that. Then we lived with my grandparents in Huntington, West Virginia. Can you imagine? Cultural shift. Rented another place in Huntington, West Virginia. Then I started fourth grade in Southern Ohio, graduated from South Point High School. So when I'm around these guys from all over the world, these African guys, these Asian guys, these Middle Eastern guys, I feel right at home. Because I know what it's like to be the guy that doesn't fit. So we, just a few weeks ago, went back for my uncle's, one of my uncle's memorial service. He was buried at the Washington National Cemetery. So at the hotel, we're the only white folks, right? Most places, we're the only white folks. And it's not like Columbus where you can kind of drive through the south end, right? Things get better. Miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. So the old home place where I grew up, uh, my aunt lived there for a while. I remember staying with her when my brother got his tonsils out. Then my uncle bought the place. We finally decided to sell the place when they found a dead body in the yard. And they didn't know who it was. Does that help you understand why God might call me to the 14th largest city in the country? That speaks 139 languages where 28% of the population is Columbus is African American. Yeah. But if I hadn't gotten clarity on that, this wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense. Your life has the same things. There's a lot of examples I could give you. So here's one if you want to take a note and think about this later. What are your two favorite movies? Movies. 
Like, out of all the movies you've ever seen, what are your two favorites? And then out of those two favorites, there's a storyline that goes with it. And then ask yourself, why are these my two favorites? And I'll guarantee you, it's not because of the actors. It's not because of the plot. It's not because of the producer. It's because of the story resembles your story. So Jesus had that story. So his activities were not determined by what he could do, by his ability, and it was also not determined by need. Did you know that? Jesus didn't operate according to need. Somebody asked, why did you do that? Well, they needed it. That's not a good answer. The world is filled with needs. Stowe Mission, we have a long list of needs. We need food, right? We need money. We need dental hygienists. We need people to sit in the dental clinic. We need people to buy the food, cook the food, serve the food, as many of our churches do. We need people that will minister to ladies in an unwanted pregnancy or an unplanned pregnancy and coach them and teach them and somebody to work in Stowe Church and somebody to help with addiction and somebody to help with the parking lot and somebody to help with the roof. and some Long list of needs. How do you pick which one to tackle? It's based upon what God wants to do in your life. Doesn't mean that you don't meet any needs. Can you imagine being able to heal everybody? And then sick people are coming, and Jesus said, nope. I'm going to preach in the next town, because that's why I'm here. Jesus operating according to his purpose. Over in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 24, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land. And yet, Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So it should be with us. Psalm chapter 90, verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Only when you have a clear yes can you say a clear no. So for me personally, on any given day, I could, here's a list, meet with a salesman from a certain company and let him tell me about all the new products, I could talk to a depressed pastor about how things aren't going well. I could paint our house. I could go to a meeting for starting small groups. I could go to a meeting for finding a church planter. I could go to a meeting to find out the ins and outs of starting a Hispanic church. I could go to a meeting telling me that it's the fall of the church, that the family is in demise, and it's not, by the way. I go to a meeting for implementing a prayer ministry, send an email to all of our pastors trying to get them to start that prayer ministry. Or I could attend a seminar and meeting on starting new churches. I could join a number of ecumenical groups in the city of Columbus. I could meet, have lunch, and commit a large amount of time to certain organizations. I could talk to pastors into adopting a foreign country for three years. I could get people to sign up and be trained for whatever and call each of our 129 churches individually to see if they have anyone who'd be interested. Or I could answer an email from a person in Nigeria whose cousin, uncle, brother, husband died, wants to handle millions of dollars by giving them my personal banking information. You have a list like that. What do you do? What determines what you do? Is it your purpose? Or is it peer pressure? They want me to do it. 
Well, you know, because of my kids, I have to. No, you don't. You don't have to do anything. Well, I have to eat? No, you don't, really. Now, if you don't, you die, right? You have a choice. Jesus exercised his agency to accomplish his purpose and wasn't pulled by his history or the majority or need or the ability, but only his focus and his purpose. Some of you say, well, I've been at it for a while. Can I change now? George Eliot said, it's never too late to be who you might have been. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 says, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. So don't make the mistake of going back, well, I wish I would, I wish I could have. You can't do anything about that, right? So what's past is past. It has repercussions for your present, but it should not determine your future. There's a tourist visiting a quaint country village, struck up a conversation with an old man in a pub, and he said, have you lived here all your life, sir? The old man said, not yet. (laughs) You still have some left. What does God want you to do with it? So how do you live your life on purpose? Number one, take your next step of obedience. I call that the prayer of relinquishment. It's a prayer that goes something like this, and I pray this fairly often. It's, Lord, I'll go whatever you want me to go, right? No matter where that is, I'll go. I'll be whomever you want me to be. I'll do whatever you want me to do. You got it. And I've done that. Has that been easy? No. Has that been difficult? Yes. Are there times when I thought I was going to die? Yes. But even then, you're not in bad company. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, about verse 8, he says, Yet we despaired even of life. You know what Paul was saying? I thought I was going to die, but I did it anyway. At the end of your days, when you're taking your final breath, would you rather say, well, Lord, I thought maybe you had more for me, but I was afraid. thought it was too big. thought it was too hard. So I just kind of wrote it out and played from day to day. Or, Lord, I went for it. I did all I could. I tried everything I believe you wanted me to do. I didn't get nearly as far as I wanted to, but God, I hope I honored you. Folks, that's why I'm in it. Not to play tiddlywinks and thumb twiddling with people who think this, or I read a book that said that. <laughs> Lord, you died for me. I gave my life to you at salvation. 
So why in the world would I hold back now? Some of you have trusted God for the next life, but you have not trusted him for this life. He's calling you to step up. To surrender all of that stuff. And as I said, you don't pretend like it didn't happen. It happened. I've had some very difficult things in my life that I hope I never have to repeat. But I share those. I let God use those. A lady came in my office when I was a pastor, said, uh, talking to the counselor, she said, I need to tell somebody, so I'm telling you, all right? I've had, I don't remember, it's two or three abortions, long list of other horrible things, right? I said, okay. She said, well, don't you feel any different about me? No, not really. When you keep that thing covered, it has power over you. But when you expose that thing, the power comes off of you. And the devil's the one who's holding you into that, right? Everything covered will be revealed. Everything revealed will be covered. Just got to offer it up. So are you willing to do that? Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Be whomever you want me to be. Go wherever you want me to go. And step two, write down everything you want to do, be, and have. Get a yellow pad. Just write out as much as you can think of. Come back the next day, write more. And then condense that down. Put that in a statement and then surrender that to God. I've done that. Jesus had that. He wants you to have that. Would you stand with me? So obviously we don't have time right now for you to start writing. But the key part of this is that point of decision, that point of commitment, right? It's that, Lord, whatever it is, I'll do it. It's not, you give me some options and I'll try to pick the best one or whatever fits best with me or whatever I feel good, right? None of that. God doesn't play that way. (laughs) He's God. He says, I want it all, and then I'll show you where it leads. But I can tell you, it will lead you into places where your life will be more fulfilling and more thrilling than you can ever imagine on this side of it. When I came here, I had no idea we'd be helping plant churches. We've helped 80 of them. Some of those joined from other, you know, that weren't affiliated. Most vast majority of those are church plants. I had no idea that I would have all these friends from all these different countries right in one city. Had no idea. Stowe Mission and had no idea. But God did. And you don't have to have an idea right now. All you have to have is a surrender right now. And that's really what makes a difference. If you look at preachers or people, are the, are the people with the greatest education, are those ones with the greatest impact? No. Are the ones with the most money, is that what makes the greatest impact? on Those with the most? No. Or their family, they grew up in a good family, have a good name? No. You know what it is? It's surrender. And the good news is that's available to each and every one of you. That's right. Not depending on your family or where you came from or didn't come from, where you went to school or didn't go to school, none of that. It's on you. You got to let it go.
That's what I'm asking you to do. Let it go. So if you haven't surrendered to Christ, if you haven't become a Christian, that's the first step, right? He's not going to show you that stuff unless you belong to him. You can belong to him today. Lord, I've sinned. I've done wrong. I repent. Turn away. Trust Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That's the first step. But my guess would be most of you have done that. That next phase from salvation till you go to see the Lord again, what are you doing with that? If you to bow your heads, if you're willing to surrender, say, Lord, I surrender. I give up my ambitions. I give up my desires. I give up my wants. I give up what I thought life should be. And just pray silently to him, I will go wherever you want me to go. If that means packing up and moving to Timbuktu today, I'll call the truck today. I'll be whomever you want me to be. I'll change those attitudes or those things I've always thought or those I can't. And I'll do whatever you want me to do. Holy Spirit, I know you're working here. Lord, I know you speak to us each day throughout the day. And I pray that on this day, we would tune into that still, small voice. What I'm saying today is not new. It may have, they may have just heard it in a different way. But Lord, your Holy Spirit, you yourself have been beckoning them. You've been calling them. You've been drawing them to a life of surrender and greater fulfillment. And today you give them an opportunity to respond. And I pray that they do that. So I want you to continue to focus on the Lord as Caleb leads us in a song. So if you want to commit right where you are, you can do that. If you want to come forward, line up here along the first pew. I can pray for you. And know that God will use that. You are special in his eyes. He has a specific purpose and a plan for you, but you're going to have to surrender for you to find it.